Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. How many of you feel a little sluggish because it's hot? Okay, all right. I'll make sure I keep it lively and interesting. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, A good friend of mine, Gabe Lyons, uh, and David Kinneman wrote a book together called Good Faith. And in their book, they lamented about the fact that we live in a cultural moment when uh, two words are often used to describe Christians, and that is irrelevant and extreme. There is a sense of a cultural kind of like dislike and even downright hatred towards Christianity. And some of us have experienced it. Now, we live in Orange County. We're a bit in a, in a bit of a bubble because we're in a little more conservative area. But my daughter lives in San Francisco. She goes to school up there. And she says, Mom, it's not that they're not interested in Christianity. They downright are hostile towards Christians. I also know a pastor in Oregon And his church is right there in Portland, and he also expressed this hostility towards Christians, right? And as we we experience this, maybe you have experienced this, the question that comes for us, the question that Gabe and David try to answer is what is our response to such a, a hostility? And they concluded it's faithfulness. You must be faithful with what God is calling us to be. And today's passage is, a, is going to give us a beautiful picture of what faithfulness looks like. And it's going to give us practical ways in which we are to live it out so that as we go out into our cultural spaces, where it's our neighborhoods, schools, works, whatever we are, we will know how to react to the hostility that may come our way. Now, this is the passage we have for today. It's Ephesians 5, um, chapter 5, verse 8. I'm going to read it first, and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me. Listen to what it says. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Let's read it together. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. I want to pause for a moment and let you look at that passage Maybe read it again. Contemplate on what it's saying. Let's just take a moment. Take this passage in. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. These few words penned by Paul are actually incredibly profound. I ask, oh God, that you open the hearts of our, the eyes of our heart and our mind that we might understand what these words really mean to us and how we are to live them out. Jesus, we thank you of the huge exchange that you did for us. You took on darkness so that we could be light. And so, Father, as we go deeper into this word, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be the one to speak to each and every one of us. Lord, would you... Push out any darkness that's in this room. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you purify this space and fill it with your light 
that we might hear from you and you alone in these moments of being in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, we've been on the uh, Ephesians uh, letter that Paul wrote, and all along, Paul is telling us about our identity. First three chapters, if you have been following the series, if you haven't, all of these messages are online. But all the first three chapters, one, two, and three, are all about our identity in Christ. A remarkable thing, Paul tells us, that we are, we are a masterpiece created by God for good works. It tells us right at the beginning that we are saints, holy, pure in the eyes of God. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are made new. And now Paul turns, and in Paul's letters, every one of his letters, you'll see this moment after he tells us about a truth where he goes, therefore, and then he says something after that. And in chapter 4, we read that Paul said, therefore, in light of who you are, live according to who you are. In other words, our identity should be lived out. It's not just about being the light, but how do we live out being the light? And we see in this passage, Paul is going to call us to being that light. He's going to call us to actually embodying it. Now, Stephen Covey wrote a book called um, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. How many of you have read that book? All right. In the beginning of the book, he uses this story to make the point, to kind of give us a, a visual picture in our mind to understand his points. And it's this sort of a joke. Now, mind you, I've been told I'm not a good joke teller. All right, I'm about to tell a joke, and I'm going to be very vulnerable, so bear with me, all right? But here's the joke, and it's going to help us today with what we're going to learn. On a dark, stormy night, the captain was already in bed, deep in his sleep, when suddenly... He's interrupted by a mate. Sir, sir, you must wake up. We have a major problem. What's the problem? You see, there is a vessel out in the ocean headed directly towards us. We have asked it to move, but it refuses. Tell it to veer. It won't. We've tried over and over. Fine. Captain gets up, grabs the radio, and he says this. Divert your course 20 degrees to the south to avoid collision. A moment of silence. The response, recommend you divert your course by 20 degrees to the south to avoid collision. Well, clearly they don't understand. It's the captain on the radio. So he says, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I again say to you, divert your course 20 degrees to the south. Silence. This is second-class seamen. I say to you, you divert your course. By now, the captain has had it. He throws off his hat and he says, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, a large warship surrounded by other vessels and supported by all kinds of artillery. You must divert your course to avoid collision. Do so now. This is a lighthouse. Your call. I know, I'm not good at it. Okay. The point. See, I do this for you because I love you. I totally humiliate myself every Sunday. Most of the time when this story is told, we are asked, including by Stephen Covey, to relate 
to the naval ship. A ship that obviously represents pridefulness, right? Rigidness, a, a lack of, of wisdom and humility, a foolishness per se. And we're asked not to be like that. Today, I want us to relate to the lighthouse. I want us to think of this picture of us being light as a lighthouse. And so as we read Paul's word, we're going to see how he's calling us to do this. He starts chapter 5 by telling us, imitate God. In fact, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children. Follow God's example. Be like God. Now, in Scripture, if you just search Google search on the Bible app and you search for light or darkness, you're going to see a lot of data come up. God is described as light in Scripture. You see this in John, uh, 1 John, the clearest. It says, God is light. In him, there was no darkness at all. God is light. What does that mean? What does it mean when it says God is light? First of all, God makes Light makes everything visible. Just uh, yesterday and the night before, uh, Jim and I live right here in Irvine, and our power went out. Anybody else's power go out? Oh, good, there's a few of us, because last service, it was just Jim and I, and I thought it was personal. <laughs> so there's a few of us with this problem. So we had no, no lights uh, Friday night, no lights last night. I literally wrote this, past, this sermon with a flashlight. And here's what we learned. I finally realized why in so many of the cultures where there is not electricity, uh, people sit up front in their homes. One thing, the house is dark once the sun goes down. Uh, it is cooler because our air conditioning was down. But pretty soon, that, the sun went out. It was dark outside as well, and we had no choice but to go in there where it was nice, dark, and hot. And as we walked in, we put a bunch of little votive candles. Thank goodness we had a few around, and the battery, batteries were still good. And we couldn't really see our house all that well, just enough not to bump onto furniture and get hurt. So light at least let us see some, but all light makes everything visible. When the lights came back on, at, at, on Friday was at 10 a.m., last night was at 2 a.m., boom, we could see our house perfectly. We see our house the way it is. Light shows us the truth. You see, God is truth. His light exposes all that is true. The second thing we know about light is that light is purity. That light essentially shows, in God's character, it shows God's purity, God's perfect, his moral excellence, his absolute nature of goodness. And so as God as light reminds us that there is no impurity in God at all. Not even an ounce. God is pure. He is right. He is righteous. Then light is glorious. Light gives life. Light brings joy. Uh, when I first became a pastor here at the chapel, this was two years ago when I took over the position. They gave me an office right there on the Life Development Building, third floor, a little teeny office, no windows. And a dear co-worker gave me this cute little plant, and it was one of those plants that liked the shade. Uh, so I stuck it in my office. I thought, okay, I'm good. I don't have a window. The plant will live. Well, it's taken two years, but right now my little plant, if you come visit me at my office, has one leaf left. I'm intent on bringing it back to life. So I put, turn on my lamp in my office, and I'm trying to get that lamp to bring life back to my plant. 
You see, light brings life. God is the author of life. God as light brings life to all things. He brings joy. He brings goodness into our life. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, that's a no-brainer, no big surprise. That makes sense. That's God. God is all those things. You're good with that. But here's what happens in Scripture. We're told Jesus is light. In fact, he calls himself the light. Look what it says in, um, in first, first it says it in John 1, 9, and also in John 8. I put them together. Listen to what it says. The one who is the true light, this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus, who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I'm sorry, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle. The one who is coming is the light. He proclaims about Jesus that he is the light. And Jesus agrees. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. He equates himself to the likeness of God, the light which not only illuminates the truth, the light which shows God's absolute purity, the light which brings life. Jesus says, that's who I am. Now, you know, if you don't uh, believe in Jesus, you're not all that sure about Jesus, this is one of those moments where you should be a little bit alarmed. Because some people say, well, Jesus was a pretty good guy, he was a good person, he was a moral person, but he didn't claim to be God. Well, wrong. This is a clear place where Jesus equated himself as the light, the same light of God. And so we're told Jesus is the light. C.S. Lewis said, you cannot claim that Jesus was a good, good person if he claimed to be God and he wasn't, right? But for a lot of us who believe in Jesus, we can buy that too. Jesus was the truth. He spoke the truth. Jesus was righteous. He never sinned. He was perfectly obedient. Jesus was life. He brought people back from the dead and he rose from the dead. So you're like, Okay, I'm all in. God is light. Jesus is light. Oh, but now look what Paul does. For once you were darkness, but now you are light. Let that sink in. In some translations, if you read the New Living Translation or the Message, uh, translations where there's more language, uh, they say more words to make it easier for us to understand. You might read this passage where it says, you, are, you were full of darkness, you are now full of light. But when you read the Greek, when you read translations like the NIV or NRSV or, or ESV, translations that go word for word, It says, you were darkness, you are light now. The same light, the same light of God, the same light of Jesus. Is that hitting you yet? How many of you feel like, oh yeah, I'm the light? Okay, good brothers, sister, I'm with you. I know why it's hard to say that. Because when we look at ourselves, We don't feel all truth. We don't feel pure. We don't feel like we bring life. We know ourselves. I mean, 
Some of you had a conversation on the way to church that proved to you you're not so much the light. And you wonder, how is it possible that Paul can say, you are light? You are so absolute. You are light. Once you were darkness, but now you're light. There was a Scottish preacher who came to the uh, to U.S., to New York, in fact, to preach. And he came with this passage to teach God's word. Now, you know, obviously, he knows English, but the American kind of humor or language, uh, not so much. And so when he preached his sermon, he made it a three-point sermon. He said, in every person's life, there's but a but. One person's but is not the same as another person's but. But if you go to God, he will give you his but. You're not laughing. Okay. In all seriousness, he was referring to that point where Paul says, but now. There is this moment. And it's a huge but now because the before and after are completely different. Darkness versus light. Now, in my story, I became a believer at 40. It's easy for me to picture that because there was a dividing line between my life prior to Jesus and the way that I thought, the way I behaved, the life I led, and then Jesus and the life I lead today. I see a but now kind of change in my life. I see the light in my life differently than it was before. For some of you, you might go, I don't even remember when I became a Christian. I feel like I've lived on this side of it. I don't have a before and after dramatic kind of a story. But here's the thing. When the sun comes up in the morning, it peers over the mountain and a little bit of light comes up. Isn't that beautiful? My favorite thing to do is take pictures of the sunrise. And there's just enough light to change the sky. And although there's light, it's not as much light as there is at noon. When the sun is at its brightest, in the morning there's still shadows, there might be places of darkness, but when the sun comes fully to its full light, it breaks down all darkness. You and I, we're a work in progress. We're somewhere between the morning rise and the sun, the full sun. One day, one day, we will be full light. But for now, we are growing into that light. But make no mistake, you are light in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, brother. You're talking to me. I love it. You need to talk to me so I know that you're awake because I know it's hot in here. Let's chat. Let's keep it talking, all right? Amen. You are light. That's what Paul says. You are that light. So therefore, live according to that light. What is the fruit of light? How do we live out light? In verse 9 and 10, he says this. The fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. All goodness, righteousness, and truth. The very characteristics of God's light. And how, how do we live that out? In our very nature, goodness, we emulate, we emulate, we do as God, we love like God. Psalm 100 says, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So to shine our light, to be the light, we love the way God loves. We imitate God and that's our way of shining the light. I was recently reading a book by Tim Keller about marriage called The Meaning of Marriage. Great book if you've been married 60 years or you're single, anywhere in between fabulous book. I can't recommend it enough. 
One of the things that Tim talks about is this idea that people will often say, oh, I fell out of love with my partner. And he explains that that is actually impossible. You know why? Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that. It's an action. Okay, we might have lost the affection for the other person. Maybe we're not feeling quite so like, ooh, this is a wonderful person, <laughs> right? But we can still love. Love means to put something into action. So a person who maybe is being hostile towards you as a Christian, you can still show kindness, you can show patience, you can show endurance, you can be gentle towards. Shining your light, it's simply to love the way God's love as an action. They might still annoy you. They, you might not exactly like them. That's okay. But we can still shine our love by our actions. Patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, endurance, all of those ways of showing love are a way in which we shine our light. Righteous. In the next way where the fruit of light is righteousness, I want to make sure we don't mis misunderstand this. Romans 5, 17 says this, But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Now, righteousness is God's, really, Jesus was righteous. God was righteous, pure, right? You and I aren't pure. But God chooses, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, to look at you and I as righteous, which the challenge with shining our light when we know that we are seen by God as righteous is we can be what? Judgmental, right? Prideful. We could, be, we could seem rigid to others. So people might go, well, you think you're all that. You know, there's people that won't come to church because they don't feel like they fit in. They look around, you know, they come in the parking lot, they look at you, they think, those people, they all look really nice. They make no mistakes. They, don't, they haven't done anything wrong. So I, I don't fit here. I mean, I, probably a walk and the building will collapse on me. You know people like this. You know what that means? Somehow we haven't been vulnerable. We shine our light. Understanding that righteousness, which is ours, is not by our own doing. You and I are not righteous because we did something right. Short of saying yes to Jesus, and even that is an act of grace. So therefore, shining a light might look that we can just be vulnerable, be real with our challenges, be real with our brokenness. That we might go around and tell people, listen, I don't have it all together. We may have to, we may look good, got the hair done, little makeup, got the nice suit. But inside we know our brokenness and we need to be open about it. We have to stop walking around pretending we've got it together, right? Now listen, I know. I know it's hard to do that because people will look at you and go, I, why would God love you? Why would God allow you to do what you do? I totally get that. I get to tell my story more often than I would like, to be honest. I've got this before and after story. Everybody wants to hear it. So every time I get asked to speak, they ask me, please tell your story. I'm about to do it here in August for the women's ministry. And the chances of someone being in the room saying, it's unfair that you, having had that past and done those things, now you've got Jesus, and now you get to do all these other things, and now you get to have this beautiful life. It's unfair. That shouldn't be right. And my response to them is, I get it. 
absolutely true. When I look at my own story, I, just like them, I'm at awe that God would choose to bless my life the way he has. And I don't argue with them. I had one lady write me this terrible email. Oh, my goodness. It's pretty rough. And my response was, I, I, I get it. God's grace is radical. It's beyond our understanding. So when I shine my light, I don't argue that I'm broken. When you shine your light, don't forget to let people know that you're broken. You're a work in progress. That's the best way we can shine our light. The argument against Christians is that we walk around pretending we've got it together, and we don't. We're a work in process. The last one, truth. Our foundation, the reason I can stand before you, the reason I can tell my story with confidence is because I believe in the grace of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus was, is the light. I believe that God is the light and that God chooses by his own wisdom, sovereignty, and love, and mercy to use imperfect people like you and I. I stand on that truth. And I ask you to do the same. Stand on it like a solid foundation. Understand that it is not your doing, but it's God's doing, God's work through you. In 1 John 5, it says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Our understanding? No, His understanding, His truth, His grace, right? He is our foundation. We sang about it this morning, the cornerstone. It's on that foundation that we stand, that truth. And therefore, you and I are prone to wonder. You and I are prone to lie. You and I are prone to do all kinds of things. But anytime we find ourselves back in the darkness, we stand on the truth. We let the Lord give us mercy. We accept his forgiveness, and we stand and we shine our light. The world is like that ship out in the ocean, wanting for us to veer and shift our position, wanting us to go, no, okay, you're right. We were totally wrong. No, we are standing on the truth of Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's shine it. Let's, let's clap at that, right? Paul calls us to shine our light. Listen to what he says. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. What are the fruitless deeds of darkness? He talked about it earlier in this chapter. Sexual immorality, impurity. This is in verse 3 and 4. We'll put it up on the screen here. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, um, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. These are just a few examples of things that we could do which bring darkness and brokenness. All of these are relationship killers, every one of them. It says, have nothing to do with that. Expose them. Now, here again, another dangerous place. Because that word exposing means to, to reprove, to correct, to rebuke. And if you're not careful, you're going to come across as judgmental, as though your job is to go, oh, I know your stuff. I know what you're thinking. I know what you did yesterday. I know your story. That's not what it means. When he says expose them, what he's essentially saying is, Talk about how these things bring damage to your life and the life around you. I talk about how divorce destroys families. I talk about how adultery is not a path I recommend for anyone. There are consequences to our actions. My own life demonstrates that. 
So by exposing them, it's me saying, look, I'm telling you where you don't want to go. That's exposing them. And when we have a brother and a sister who might be caught up in sin, first we have to ask God to speak to us about how we're sinning. Take that big plank out of our eyes. Be humble with our own brokenness. And then out of love and gentleness and grace, we come to our brothers and sisters and say, listen, hey, I know that's attractive because I've been there myself. I know, I know that that has some temporary benefit, but let me tell you how it damages after. That's exposing in love. That's how we get to shine a light. See, there are two purposes for a lighthouse. One is to show whether danger is located. A lighthouse is normally put in places where there is obviously rocks or land so that a ship will not be damaged by hitting it. Some lighthouses, the very first lighthouse, was placed in Europe in the middle, almost in the middle of the ocean where there were these large rocks that came up. And this lighthouse is placed there because many ships hit that place. The point of a lighthouse is to let people know there is danger here, don't go there. But it has to begin by knowing we can enter into our danger ourselves. So shine your light first in yourself and then onto others. The second purpose of a lighthouse is to navigate, help people with navigation, know where they are. So lighthouses are all different colors, and their lights do different things. And the point of that is to help people know, hey, this is where land is, so don't come this way unless you mean to. But if there's a storm, this is a good place to come. If you're out there in the, in the ocean and it's rough, come this way. So lighthouses navigate, give us a way to know the way. And I love it because Paul gives us that language. He says in, in verse 13, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that illuminates becomes light. When we shine our light, when we let people know what God has done in our lives, stop hiding your story. Stop keeping your story to yourself. You need to tell your story whether you've been a Christian since four years old until now, and you don't remember when you became a believer, but somehow God has still wrapped your heart, or you're like me, where I waited forever, I made a mess, and then I came to Jesus, thank you, God, you received me. Whatever your story is, don't hide your story. Someone else will come to Jesus when they hear your story. Thank you. One sister back there knows it's true. That means you've told your story, and someone has, and that's what's happened to me. Tell your story. Lead others to Christ by your story. Illuminate the way for others. Are you the kind of person that people go to when they want to know about Jesus? Because they know you, you know Jesus. Are you the kind of person that people come to when their life caves in and they have all kinds of struggle and now they are gasping for some hope and they know you've got that hope. They've seen it in your life. Are you the kind of person that someone who feels like others have let them down will come to you and want to know about the God who has not let you down? Are you telling your story so others can see Christ? Find a way. See, three ways we are being encouraged today to shine our light. One, first one, is simply to accept that we are the light. We have been given that as an identity. You are shining a light whether you know it or not. People are looking to you to know Jesus. Second, be vulnerable. 
Be real. Third, tell your story. Tell how Jesus has led you, how Jesus has loved you. As I close and invite the worship team to come up, I want us to look again at these lighthouses because as I did a little bit of research on lighthouses, I learned that every lighthouse is designed slightly differently. They all look about the same, but in reality, they're not. Some are painted all white. Some have uh, white with a black band. Some are all black. Some have red colors on them. They have all these different shapes, and some are really tall. Some are really fat and squatty. Have you seen them? Go online. Look at lighthouses. There's just about every kind of lighthouse look, and they have a purpose. These different looks are not accidental. The point of the lighthouses is wherever they're located, they're trying to say something. So if, they're, if they have all black on them, it's because maybe they're up against rock, and maybe they won't see them if they're not colored that way. Uh, if they are really short and squatty, that means they're up on the hill. They're already high enough. The lighthouse doesn't have to be that tall. So they know we're coming up against a very high mountain. You know, those cliffs that you see when you come up to the beach. If it's a really tall lighthouse, it might be down to the, the ocean floor right there on the beach. And so therefore, and then all the different colors represent location. The light itself, it rotates in such a way that there's a pattern to that light. So if there's a lighthouse within distance of another, a naval ship can go, oh, that's this bay or that's that bay. They know where to go. Do you know that every single one of us are lighthouses for Jesus? And we all look different. And we all shine our light through our own beauty that God created, our story, our location in life, our circumstances, whatever that might be. Shine your light. Don't compare yourself to another lighthouse. You are a wonderful masterpiece designed on purpose for God. So much happened for you to become who you are. Shine your light the way that you are, right where you are, your way, not somebody else's way. Now, I know I filled your outline with all kinds of words. I have no space for you to write, but I want to encourage you to do one thing before we respond. Take a moment, find a blank spot, and write down how God was speaking to you today. How is he inviting you to shine your light. This week, maybe today, what are you hearing God say to you? So as part of the response, every, every week here at the chapel, we take a moment to respond, to get up, to walk around the room and, and let God speak to us. So maybe if you don't have it now, you'll have it by the time you come back to sit down. But we come to the table of communion, a beautiful reminder that the righteousness that we now have in Christ did not come by our doing, but by the perfect sacrifice of God's Son. We light candles, no better picture of Jesus being the light, and now we being the light for him, with him. That cross where we get to confess our sins and we no longer are condemned, therefore we can go and say, yeah, we've got work to do, Jesus. You've got some things to fix in my life. I need your help in this. But no, he is at work making us more and more like his son. The prayer team, we have the elder right up front here and the prayer team around the room. 
They're here to pray with you, to pray for you, to rejoice with you. If you're celebrating something today, even if it's your birthday, come to one of the prayer teams so they can rejoice at your existence today. And then we have the offering boxes where we give from the generosity that's been given to us. No greater way to shine our light than to be generous with what we've been given. Because then through that, more light, more light comes into our hearts. Remember, light is life-giving. Generosity is joy-giving. And so, would you stand with me? Would you go to any of these stations in any order you want? You don't, it doesn't have to be orderly. In fact, the messier, the prettier looking it is. Because that means you're going where God is calling you. And then we'll gather back together, write down what God is saying to you, and then we'll worship God for his goodness. Go ahead. Amen, amen. All right, just before you go, a couple of reminders. Next week, chapel party with a purpose. Bring something to share, some fruit, some chips, something unhealthy. It's all right. We're going to hang out in the patio, have some fun. Also, on that table as you walk out, there's these little booklets, our daily bread. I don't know if you've ever noticed them. For July and August, it has a lighthouse. So we've got lots of them. We put some out there. Take one with you to be reminded of that. But as you go, put out your hands. I want to pray Paul's own words. He quotes from the, uh, Isaiah. And these words are a great reminder for us as we go. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have given us light. We don't deserve it, oh God. We're so humbled by your grace and your kindness. May we be, as we walk out of here, beautiful lighthouses in your name. Use us, oh God, as only you know how. Bring life, comfort, peace to those who are struggling. Make the weak strong. Make the hopeless full of joy. Strengthen us, oh God, in the way that only you and you alone can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go on God's grace. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.